changed behavior breeds changed behavior. So if you're the normal person who's getting up right when your kids wake up and then it's a rush to get out the door, it's like, okay, you start with five minutes and then you get to 30 minutes earlier, then you get to an hour earlier. And you know, it may not be that you fill that whole entire extra hour with stuff to do. Cause then you're still as rushed as you were previously, but it's like, okay, maybe I have a 20 minute morning routine. And now I've learned that I want spaciousness around this journaling practice or around this meditation practice, around this yoga, whatever. So in order to feel spacious around 20 minutes, I need to be up an hour earlier. And over time you learn your rhythm. Hello, my love, and welcome to the Boldly Courageous podcast. My name is Melissa Martin. I am a business and embodiment coach and creator of the Boldly Courageous community. Just like you, I've walked through some dark seasons in life, and I know what it's like to start over again and write a new story. This podcast is here to activate you, to show you what's possible when you embody your power and walk with courage and fear in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. Each week, you will hear authentic conversations with thought leaders and visionaries as we dive deep into topics such as spirituality, business, money, relationships, sexuality, and so much more so that you can fully embody your boldly courageous self. Are you ready? Let's drop in. Hey, real quick before we dive into the episode, I need to let you know about something really, really special to me. So if you're anything like me and you've had this calling on your heart to start a podcast, but you have no idea where to start, I want to introduce you to the incredible team that I have worked with literally from day one of launching Boldly Courageous over at Podcast & Co. They have just released a self-paced course called Launch Your Fucking Podcast. This program will literally take you through step-by-step step of launching your podcast from start to finish. You will learn everything about how to create and find the foundation and mission of your podcast, how to come up with the perfect name, get super clear on your audience and the structure of your show. Also, you will learn how to record, how to produce, how to edit, and also hosting, music, creating the perfect cover and building a successful launch strategy. Basically by the end of the program, you will have launched a podcast that feels authentic and expansive to you, labeling you as the expert that is ready to impact and grow your audience in whatever phase of life they may be at. So all you have to do is go to the link in the show notes, use code boldly courageous at checkout, and you will get a hundred dollars off the launch your fucking podcast course. So now let's jump into the episode. Welcome back to the Boldly Courageous Podcast. As always, it is such an honor that you are here with me today. And my guest today is Lindsay Roselle. And Lindsay is a growth and performance coach for high-achieving women, and she is the host of the Mother Load Podcast. So this episode, we really go deep into the mindset of parenting and we talk a lot about autonomy. We talk a lot about the power of presence. We talk a lot about reparenting ourselves through the process of parenting children and all of the opportunity that comes up within that. And we also go deep into this conversation around proximity and how it impacts literally every area of your life and the difference between proximity, calibration, and implementation. So even if you are not a parent, 
this conversation is going to really be able to open your mind around communication, around relationships, because so much of what we're sharing runs parallel to business, to interpersonal relationships, friendships, sisterhood, community, things of that nature. So I love this conversation. An hour literally flew by and I felt like we could have talked for a whole nother hour, especially when we got into the proximity conversation and we started to talk about polarity and masculine feminine. So if you are a high performing woman who has ever felt like there's no way that you can stop and pause and like meditate or journal or have space for yourself and you are feeling frustrated and you want to have more presence with your children, this conversation is going to open your eyes so much to how you can actually do that and introduce you to a woman who is leading by example in her own family and helping other women to do the same. So Lindsay Rizal is a growth and performance coach for high achieving women. She's the host of their mother load podcast, and her mission is to help ambitious women find harmony between their desire to succeed and their devotion to motherhood with expert mentorship focused on inner work, mindset mastery, and self-led success. The Motherload podcast further expands on Lindsay's work by exploring mindset, money, and meaning, and how the mental load of motherhood affects all three on a day-to-day basis. Lindsay is known to rise before the sun and journal daily in what she calls the dark hour. She is a mama to two little boys, Sawyer and Wesley, and she lives in Northern Colorado with her boys and her partner, R.T. Custer. Without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Lindsay. Lindsay, welcome to the Boldly Courageous podcast. It's such an honor to have you here with me. And what I love about you is that you have this really amazing, like nurturing energy as a mom and a a coach for women, but you balance that out very strongly in your masculine. Like you have a very strong masculine energy, but it's not like wounded, masculine, overbearing, like shielded. It's very clear and grounded, which I think is why you do so well with what you do with strategies and systems. And we were just chatting before hitting record on how important it is to have that not only in the coaching industry, but also obviously in in parenting as well. So I know we're going to dive into that. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm excited. This would be great. So what is one boldly courageous thing you've done recently? Oh man, (laughs) a lot. This summer has felt very, well, actually 2022, it has felt overall, I, very boldly courageous. And I, I've used the word bold a lot. So I'm like, that was bold, uh, good and bad, you know, some, some things that I've done this year, but overall, uh, well, I'm in a mastermind that is a plant medicine focused mastermind. And that was very bold and courageous of me to, to basically have never dabbled in any of that prior to this year. And now I've like, I've been to Peru and done ayahuasca and I'm like a microdoser all the time and all these things. So, so that whole aspect is, I would say boldly courageous and and really fascinating what it's unlocked in terms of this conversation of like energetics and the subconscious mind and and managing growth. Uh, and then I bought a cabin kind of not on a whim, I wouldn't say, but I knew, I knew it was a potential, um, but it worked out extremely like serendipitously to come up with a very large sum of cash that I didn't actually have all of it. Uh, and I bought that cabin in June and it has been this oasis of alone time and like connection to nature that I didn't know how badly I needed until now that I have it. I was just there yesterday. Um, so yeah, that, that was bold and courageous. Cause I <laughs> like emptied my, all my bank accounts to, to own it, but now it's mine and, uh, it is a place of refuge and I uh, hope to do retreats there, you know, starting soon. So those are two big things. Yeah. Those are big things. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. What prompted you to join this mastermind? 
Well, I was looking around the beginning of 2022 for coaches. Like, um, I, I have a great one-on-one coach that I've worked with for many years and she's a mother and I love her to death. And, but I was feeling like I need, I should like look around, you know, I, I, I'm in a new phase of my life. 2020, 2021 were incredibly difficult. Uh, 2022 is like looking up. I need, I need something different. And so I had shared that with a friend who I had been in a mastermind with several years ago. And she's like, oh, you should check out this one infinity with Gerard Adams and Adam Rowe. And I was like, okay, uh, had no idea who these people were. And, but on her recommendation connected with them and I, we get on a call and like immediately they're like, all right, yeah, this is, here's the investment. And I was like, oh God, I mean, huge, more than I've ever even thought that a mastermind could be. And it's, it's going to start with this 14 day trip to Peru and you're going to do three nights of ayahuasca. And I was like, I like, I've heard of this, but I have no idea. So I just had no context. Um, but that I got off that call. Like I, I talked to Adam and Gerard both and I got off the the two calls and I was like, there's just something telling me that this is the year to do these kind of big, scary things that, to, that shake it up, you know, like I, I knew enough to know that going to Peru and doing ayahuasca in the Shipibo tradition in the middle of the Amazon was going to shake me up, you know, like I didn't know how or what would come of that, but, and, and I just knew that that type of container would probably have other people like me in it who were pretty accomplished, had done a lot of inner work already, were pretty well connected, knew themselves pretty well, but were ready for the next level. And I was like, that's who I want to be around. So it's worth it to me to make this investment and to stretch myself in stretch myself financially, stretch myself, you know, from a inner work standpoint and a community standpoint. And, and it has not disappointed at all. It's been in, absolutely incredible. Um, but, but yeah, I think the, the plant medicine aspect of it was, was the thing that ultimately I was hesitant about, but also was the reason that I ultimately said yes, and has been an incredible learning experience. Mm, that's so beautiful. So you mentioned a couple of things. First, I want to know, um, about the, we talked a little bit before recording about proximity. And so something mm-hmm. that you just said was just, I want to be around people that are doing the work and will grow me. Um, but I'm curious before we go into that conversation, what's been maybe the greatest like aha that you've received through your journey with plant medicine? Wow. For me, it's, it's this deep appreciation of motherhood and not just like, Oh, I just love my kids so much more. It's not even that it's, it's feeling truly feeling that motherhood is generational. You know, that the fact that I'm a mother is the result of my mother being mother and her mother being mother and her mother being mother. And, and when you look at that, it's like so insanely beautiful to think back to all the mothers that have come before us that, that did the, (laughs) had the labor, like literally the labor of life to, to create life, to have us all be here. And the shadow of that, which is every single one of those mothers endured some type of trauma in becoming a mother. And most of the generations back before us had no tools like that. They didn't talk about it the way we do, you know? And so there's also this like profound sadness that I, that I feel around motherhood where it's like, God, we have not appreciated the sacred mother for so many. I mean, maybe I, I think maybe when we were all in tribal cultures, many hundreds of years ago, maybe there was more appreciation, but in our modern, like seven generations, like the last couple hundred years, this like erasure of the sacredness of motherhood to, to focus more on the patriarchy and industrialization and capitalism, all things that like, 
yeah, that's why you and I are here. Like we have businesses, we can work because of those things. So, so there's beauty in that too. But to me, I'm like, man, I really feel this beautiful reverence for motherhood and this like deep sadness about motherhood. Uh, and, and I don't think I would have ever gotten there without some of these plant medicine experiences that connected me into a way of understanding the world and like feeling things that are in me that I couldn't actually put words to. Mm. So I've heard it said that when you heal yourself, you heal seven generations prior and seven generations forward, which I think is so beautiful. I was just hosting a retreat in Sedona and that was part of the conversations that we were having about the importance of being present to your reality and really doing the inner work and being, uh, like being responsible in that, right. Because we come into this world, a a blank slate, and then we're tasked with basically healing the trauma of our family that's been passed down to us. And so it is a duty and a responsibility not to, to pass it on. So in that, um, in the spirit of that, how has this changed your perspective on how you raise your, you have two boys, correct? Yeah, I have two boys. So it's interesting because, and my sister doesn't have any kids. And, and so we're like the end of my maternal line, um, which is interesting to me because it, it's like, uh, you know, there's been daughters for so many generations and now, uh, now I won't, I don't have daughters. And so in some ways I'm like, okay, how do I, I'm very conscious of raising my boys to be good men, you know, and that has context beyond motherhood that that's looking at the world we live in and going, I really don't want to raise these like toxic masculine men who don't, aren't able to express feelings and who treat women like objects. And, and, you know, like there's a lot of other stuff around that, that I'm trying to learn as a parent. Um, But in terms of how I bring motherhood into being with my boys, it's, really hyper awareness of, is this, is this me reacting because it's my feelings that I, you know, I don't like that they're doing that. I'm annoyed. I'm distracted. Or is this a behavior that needs corrected and something that I need to step in and and address because this is something that forms a core memory or a core belief system in them that will then Mm -hmm. inhibit their ability to be good men, you know? And, and I think that level of presence in my relationship with my kids is something that I wasn't modeled for me as from my parents, especially my mother. And I know it wasn't modeled in in her, you know, parents and all the way back. And I think that that's fine, you know, like that that was their generations or whatever, but to be so present and, and to really one have built a lifestyle where I can be present with my children a lot and really know them as humans is a huge gift. And I'm, and that is work that I've done in my life to create that and two to have the awareness and know that in being present with them, I can make choices in the moment to react in in a different way than is my initial (laughs) intuitive way to do it. And when I do react in a way that I don't like, I have the immediate opportunity to repair. And that that's the stuff that like all of us talking about the wounds of (laughs) how we were wounded by our parents. I'm like, how much of that would be healed if like five minutes after they said that thing to you, or they did that thing to you, they were like, you know what, Melissa, I'm so sorry that mommy was distracted on her phone and I should have been watching so that you didn't cause that problem that I scolded you about. Like, you know, so, so to me, it's God having the awareness of how much presence really affects the relationship with your child and how they, how they internalize their childhood has been huge. And I, that's another, like, it's not really an academic or intellectual understanding that I got from 
any type of parenting book or any mastermind or, or coach or anything. It's like being in the medicine, working on myself and having more reverence for motherhood and going, okay, if I had a hundred million dollars and I had all the childcare I needed and all these other things that stressed me out were, were not non-issues. What do I want being with my kids to feel like to me and to them? And okay. How do I take a little bit of that even into the days where I'm stressed about money or I have nine calls in a row or they spill something because they're three-year-old and, you know, and I'm annoyed by it, but he's just a kid. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of that waking up to how I want it to feel and trying to make good moment by moment decisions in alignment with that. Mm, And we live in a world where like presence is so is, is not really celebrated where we live in a world where distraction is the thing that's really honored. And I'm not a parent, but I do spend a lot of time with my best friend's daughter. And so I've gotten a crash course in parenting and it's been the real, a really interesting experience to meet myself in those edges of like, yeah, the convenience of distraction yeah, and the, and the inconvenience of presence when you're trying to get something done and this little person just wants your attention and you, and you're really trying to complete something else. So I, yeah, I empathize (laughs) with a lot of women out there that are really just doing the best that they can and how easy it is to pop a child in front of an iPad and give them a distraction to, yeah you know, we didn't, I didn't have that growing up. Um, no. And I do and, that. I mean, I want to be clear. Oh, kids also get screen time, but, <laughs> but it's, but I, but even that is an intentional choice, you know, where it's not a, it's not a escape for me to go numb myself out. So I don't have to deal with a hard situation. It's like, like you Strategy. just said, I have to get this thing done. Yeah. You can have 30 minutes of iPad time, like deal, deal. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, so yeah. And this conversation of presence is so powerful and I've noticed, um, you know, in the time that I've gotten to know my best friend's daughter on a more like intimate level, we live together. So you really get to know someone at their, at their core. And I think most children's love language is quality time. And I Mm -hmm. think it morphs over time. And I've noticed with her that when, like when we go through periods where if I'm not super present with her, that her level of engagement with me is kind of status quo. But Mm -hmm. if, if for one day, like last night she got home from school or I picked her up from school and, um, we had a little bit of time before she went to cheer practice and she really wanted to paint. So we sat down for an hour and painted together her demeanor towards me she's so different. She's so much more affectionate and loving. And she's also a better listener. She's more behaved because I gave her love like children, you know, they don't, the way that they, at least my understanding is they spell love like T I M E, like just spend time with me, just be with me, like play Barbies with me, be imaginative with me. So this, this conversation around pausing and being present is so interesting. And I feel like so much more can be accomplished with good listeners and, you know, um, acting out and all that. If you can just be present for like 30 minutes yeah, and show them that time, like the domino effect is really powerful. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I see that every day. And I, for that reason, I've gotten more intentional about spending one-on-one time with each, each kid. Cause one of the, like, crutches of parenting is like, oh, you have a sibling, go, go play with your sibling. But that 
that is also for me allows me to not be as present because I expect that they'll be present with each other, which sometimes they are. And sometimes it leads to like a blow up that you have to go deal with, but spending time, like what you're saying, doing what they they want me to do with them one-on-one, just totally focused on them is so cup filling. It pays dividends back to me because I'm like, okay, that was an hour of focused time that I couldn't multitask, but now he's so compliant and he's a good listener and he's sweet. And like, he's being nice to his brother. And whereas if I had tried to do two things at once, he would, he, he didn't get his quality time. Uh, But the other thing I wanted to say to that is like, isn't that so interesting because we're all just little kids, you know, like we're all these little wounded inner children walking around in big grown up bodies, craving people to be present with us, craving people to be understanding that what we need is their time. And that in those moments of, of dysregulated nervous system, which kids don't know how to manage very well, but adults presumably have learned that, that like the answer is not to, you know, all these other coping mechanisms we have as adults with ourselves. And then also as adults with each other, it's like, Hey, or you could just sit down and color for like 20 minutes and you'd probably feel better. Or you could sit down and just like sit next to someone and be quiet and just hold space for them when they're going through something hard. And they'd probably feel better. Like we don't need to fix. We don't need to do, we don't need to, to correct, you know, like all these parenting metaphors really work Mm -hmm. when you get into the work we do with people where it's like, it, sometimes I look at my clients and I'm like, oh, you're just like, it's like your little Sarah, like how, how sweet, you know, like what does little Sarah need right now? What is little, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it sounds trite and, and silly, but it like makes me emotional. Cause I, cause then I also look at my actual five-year-old child and I'm like, okay, he will someday be an adult who is feeling these things. And if, if he doesn't know how to ask for what he needs, or he feels like those feelings are not valid or mom was too distracted. Like she didn't care. We know as adults, we know how that will play out. So it it just drives home the point of if we know we need those things and we know how important they are, then why would we do anything but give them to our children? Mm. Um, So yeah, that's like a big existential loop opening there, but I'm like, okay, if present, (laughs) if we all know our our kids behave better when we just are present with them, like, why don't we just give that to each other as adults? But Mm. Yeah. And kind of along that, that same point is like, I, one of the areas that I've kind of met myself in this experience. And again, I'm not a parent, but I've spent enough time, you know, in the caretaker role to, to have these experiences where I meet myself in like, where's the line of autonomy and respect for this human being, right? Just because this human is five years old doesn't mean they don't carry a certain level of autonomy and, and deserve a certain level of respect, right? So I oftentimes ask myself, like, would I speak to an adult the same way that I'm speaking to this little person, right? And the only difference is what level of emotional intelligence or maturity or age or, this idea of hierarchy and control. And so I've had to catch myself in the, the control archetype of like, I'm the boss yeah, and really like be so much more present and cognizant of my communication style to not be yeah. demeaning or to not be condescending or even to be passive aggressive. And it is wild to yeah. like catch yourself being like, wow, I was kind of a dick. Like, would I ever speak to an adult like that? Like, why would I discipline that way? Or why would I yell about something like that? Or why would I get angry? Like if that was my partner or my 
mom or a best friend, like how would that be received? <laughs> right. Right. And, and that's such a hard question. And, and then a lot of what that then creates is as we meet ourselves there and we're at that precipice of like, wow, do I just follow, keep following this path and go over the cliff and just explode on this child who is totally helpless. But like, is that feels good to me to just get out what I'm frustrated about or get out what I, as an adult, want them to behave in a certain way, you know, or do I stand there at that cliff and go, oh boy, okay. If I go over the edge here, it's a core memory for her or for him around like, mommy or Melissa, like caretaker person or parent or grandparent, whatever, X, Y, Z, right? Like they did this to me. There's this memory associated with that. And that shit is like what we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to be in masterminds and go to therapy to fix in our forties. Right. So it's like, I don't want to be that person. And, you know, so it's like, okay, then I've got to slowly tiptoe back from the edge and be like, okay, you know, like give, I got to take a second, like take a breath and sit here and consider what would be the most authentic to me and helpful to, to (laughs) healing, you know, in this moment to say to this child that just experienced Mm. me speak to them or do something that's not something I would ever do to an adult, you know? Um, And, you know, and those are hard questions because sometimes that question is, well, he did something intentionally malicious to his little brother. If I saw an adult intentionally hit the guy next to him, I probably would be pretty pissed off. And I probably would be a little bit stronger in my language and a little stronger in my energy to correct that mm-hmm. behavior. Like, I don't know about you, but I've broken up a couple things recently, especially through COVID. Like I, I was in a coffee shop a couple years ago and watched this guy just berate the, the bartender, uh, the barista over the limit of the number of people that could sit at the tables because our county said like a max of four people. And he wanted to have a little whatever. I think ironically it was a Bible study, which is a whole other conversation, but he wanted to have five people sit at the table and they had to say, sir, if the county comes in and sees five people sitting here, we will lose our, like, they'll shut us down. This was like mid COVID. And the guy is in this 19 year old barista's face, like and no mask, like screaming at him. I don't care about masks, but that was pr- important to the story because, you know, like this kid is behind his mask, just like totally. And I get up and I go over there. I'm like, I am going to parent this fucking little boy who thinks that the way to tell people that you don't like what they tell you to do is to scream and yell at them. Like, I know that he was probably screamed at and yelled at by a parent when he didn't behave in the way that they wanted. And this is his way of being. And so like, I hand, like, I still get goosebumps. Like I handled it like such a mother, you know, I'm like, I'm going to come and like be this little boy's mom. So there's that, like, there are these cases where even in your parenting, you know, you have Mm -hmm. to kind of come in with strong energy. But they're they're not as common as the times when a kid makes an honest mistake or they're learning something or they are totally dysregulated in their nervous system because they're five and not 50 and they lose their shit or they spill something or they make they do something you don't like. And those are the times where it's really hard to stop and go, ah, you know, like my three year old spilled. He was watercoloring the other day and he and I was like, please don't knock over the water. okay? you know, like he kept turning around to look at his brother in the TV. And, and every time he turned, I'm like, you're going to knock over the water. And sure enough, he knocks over the water. And I'm like, my first initial reaction is like, ah, I told you like, don't, you know? And I was like, also he's three, he's left-handed. He's just navigating the world as a lefty. I set him up wrong. Like I put all the stuff on the right side all the time. Cause I'm right-handed, you know? So as he turned to his right, his left hand hit the water. Anyway, I was like, wow, this is such a moment where I'm annoyed. I have to clean up a spill. He got it all over the table and all over a bunch of other papers. I want to yell because I warned him a bunch of times, but his emotional and capacity as a three-year-old is not to, to be able to manage this. Right. 
So instead of coming at him with like the strong mother energy, it's like, okay, this is, oh, it's okay, baby. Like that's a mistake. Um, and thinking of him, like, what would you do if your friend spilled a drink after you were like, Hey, you, you should move your drink. You're going to spill your drink. And then like the fourth time she spills her drink, like you'd probably be a little annoyed, but you'd be like, dude, I told you that was going to happen. Let me go get you some napkins. You know, like you would just laugh and soften and make it okay. Yeah. So to me, it's like, it is a lot of that stopping and being reminding yourself in the present moment to go, what does this person need from me right now? This little human, sometimes it is corrective mama bear energy. That's like a little stronger and a little sharper. And a lot of times it's, it's the softness that I think is harder for some of us to access Yeah. the forgiving, like the it's okay. It really fucking annoys me that you did that, but it's okay. Right. And I'm going to fix it, you know? And that is a skill. That is a skill. And that is not just mothers that need to have that skill, uh, obviously. But I think in the context of the feminine energy conversation, it's such an important piece that we bring to the relationship with our children is that ability to be strong in the energy when they need the corrective behavior and to soften when they need nurtured. Mm. And if you're, if, if you are so out of alignment that either one of those things is not working (laughs) for you and you don't have good discernment of when to pull on which side of the energy there, I think that's when caretaking, parenting, everything starts to feel really hard. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say, a lot of this comes down to radical self-awareness of Mm -hmm. really like being present and, and having a lot of self-awareness. And I have the sense that there are a lot of moms and, or women listening, going like, I don't have a moment. I don't even know how to be present because I'm like, I, okay. So I see this, my, you know, one of my closest friends is like the youngest executive in a leadership role in the history of her company, which is like one of the largest financial institutions in the world. She's a single mom navigating one of a a very high conflict divorce. Mm -hmm. She's the primary breadwinner. So, you know, she's got primary custody. Her daughter goes to private school. She's navigating a travel schedule, a really demanding job, a newer ish relationship, running a household activities with school and a legal battle. So I watch her every single day, multitasking like crazy. So this idea of like even taking a moment to pause is so foreign. So for the woman that's like in that place where there's like 15 tabs open at all times, where do you even start with this idea of like taking a pause for 10 seconds to be present? Yeah. Uh, I mean, what I would say, like if I met her at something, I was like, let's sit down. Let, let, give me an hour. I want you to just brain dump out every single thing that's on your mind. Yeah. Like, just get it out. Give it to me. I'll hold it. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to put it in a d- Google doc, wherever we need to put it. It like makes me emotional to say this. Cause it's like, let me help carry some of the burden, you know, like not that I'm going to, I can help you fix a lot of it. And I'm actually building a company that is going to be like the, the home edit for your mental load, because I think this is such a problem that we have, but it really starts there to be like, what all the things you just listed off are just the, that's just the category, right? Like under divorce, contentious divorce is probably a hundred things that she's thought of mm-hmm. that are things she needs to do mm-hmm. scenarios. She's run in her mind, intrusive thoughts she has about it, mm-hmm. pain, anger, fear, happiness, all the things. And that's just the divorce. And then there's, you know, then there's her career and, and all, you know, like, 
And so when I have these conversations with, with friends and clients and women, and I'm like, have you done a brain dump? Like, I know it sounds silly, but a brain dump, like just get it out, write it down, give it a place where it can live outside of your mind Mm -hmm. so that you can give yourself some separation from all the things you think you need to do, all the things you're afraid of, all the things that you want that aren't currently happening, all the things you don't want anymore that you need to find a way out of get, let's get it all out of your mind. And then now we have like a little bit of breathing room, (laughs) you know, we can close the door on some of that stuff and sit here in this quiet room, Mm. even if it's for three or four seconds at a time and take a breath. Mm. And, and so for me, like, that's, that's what I would say to someone like, like her. I'm like, just let sit down with an hour. Like you, I'll just get you talking. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and I'm just going to write down what you say. And we're just going to get it all out. Mm. We're not going to take action. We're not making any plans. We're just getting it out. Then it, once it's out, then it's like, okay, what does it feel like to be alone in the room and be like this metaphorical room where you can close the door on all that noise for a minute and take a couple breaths? Okay. How do we get you back to this feeling? You know, is that meditation? Is that a practice that we can put into place in your life? And, and it isn't like, let's go do an hour. Like I have this elaborate inner work practice every morning that I put on Instagram. People are like, how did you do this? I'm like, I didn't do it all at once. You know, I, I started with sitting with myself for two minutes and being so fucking uncomfortable mm. with everything that was going on in my mind. And it took me months of doing that. And then I was able to add, okay, then I figured out like getting it all out helps. And now I've added journaling and I, I start to process some of what's coming up. Okay. And I build this longer practice now that works for me, but it's not, you can't really just sit down and tell someone like, well, you should be meditating. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> like, right. Or you should be journaling. Okay. Like about what, you know, until some of the chaos and the noise can be stopped and blocked out for a moment, that that type of advice is kind of moot. So uh, so that's where I, I would start is let's just get it out and whatever that looks like for you, if that's handwriting it out, if that's sitting with a friend who can hold the space for you, if that's, you know, meditating, yoga, whatever. And then, and then looking at, okay, now that you know what this feels like to have a little more space, how do we give you some tools and some practices so that when you're in that contentious moment with your child and you feel the weight of that massive mental load on you, it doesn't, you know, you can say like deep breath and close the door on that. Okay. Hey, I need to be present for two minutes in this conversation with my child to correct a behavior or to give her an answer of something that she insistently needs. And then if I can and need to, I can open the door back up and some of the thoughts can come back in because I'm mid midstream on a thought that I need to complete. Or you know what? No, like I'm just going to sit down and paint with her for an hour and I'm going to let all that stuff wait. And it sounds, it sounds like impossibly difficult if you're in the midst of like the chaos. And it sounds fairly easy if you, if you start to get some of the discipline around these practices to know how to manage that mindset, you know, and, and it takes work, you know, it's what we talked about before we press record. It's this like inner work is where all this stuff leads back to. And it, and it is work, (laughs) you know, it is not, it is, it is hard. Yeah. It feels it feels hard. It is hard. It's uncomfortable, but it's gives you these gifts. You know, it gives you back your life. It's really looking at a bigger picture. You know, it can be hard now and more stabilized later, or it can just continue to be the same like hamster wheel of frustration. And just even just listening to you talk about like the brain dump, I'm like in my body, I'm like, Oh, it feels so good. Like just that moment of like closing the door and being in that space. I'm like, Oh, I really like that. <laughs> like even for my yeah. nervous system, it feels really good. And 
it feels manageable. Like the way you just shared the two minutes, it feels bite-sized yeah, and approachable. And I, I really agree with you that it's, it's, I often have these thoughts where I'm like, okay, for my lifestyle, I don't have, I'm not partnered. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have children. I don't really have a lot of like, quote unquote, responsibility to other people or their agendas. So for me to sit and meditate for an hour in the morning and kind of just have a nice, slow not start. lazy, but like <laughs> slow start, lazy was yeah. not the word, but I was like slow, like easy. Yeah. Of course yeah. it's like, of course I feel great every day. Of course I feel Zen. Of course I can be present. Of course I have more patience. And again, it's so timely because I'm here, you know, visiting and I'm, I'm right now in this caretaker role of like wake up at seven and drop off as at, you know, we have to leave at seven 45. And so suddenly my, I feel rushed challenged. I feel challenged in my own practices because I'm like, Oh, this is different. So I'm looking through the lens of, okay, if you want to get up and meditate and journal and work out and eat breakfast and like wash your hair, you have to get up at like 4.45 and I'm not a 4.45 in the morning type type of person. So I'm like, how do you do it? Yeah. How do you do it? And I, I'm sure uh, you just don't. A lot of people don't. Just, that's why they don't. You don't. I haven't, I don't know the last time I showered, honestly. I mean, it was probably within a few days, but um, <laughs> I try to shower. Washing hair. Washing your other. hair is a whole nother thing. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it, it is this question, right? It's like, what, what's a non-negotiable and, and a lot of figuring out inner work and a lot of learning what inner work is. Like people are always asking me like, what's inner work? I'm like, I don't have a definition for this folks. Like there's no prescription I can give you. That's like, if you do six months of this and you read these six books and you do 10 pages a day, like there's lots of tools out there that might work for you that have those prescriptive elements to them. Yeah. But it is, it is only going to be as effective as the one, the stuff that you actually stick with that feels good to you so that you'll stick with it. And two, that you learn from in a way that you actually change your behavior, you know? So if, if your habit is to sleep all the way up till when your kids are waking you up and then everything is a rush, then yeah, I could tell you it needs to be five minutes. I could tell you it needs to be an hour. You're going to have to be the one that figures out, okay, if it's a five minute practice, does that mean you need to get up five minutes earlier or do you need to get up 30 minutes earlier so that you have the time to, to try to all your avoidance mechanisms yeah. and then finally sit down for your five minutes and then be ready to get into rush mode, you know? And, and a lot of this is what I work with, with women in like growth and performance coaching, where I'm like, this is not, I'm not going to tell you, you have to get up at 445, Melissa, so that you can and be in the shower by five and then at 515, like there's lots of things you see out there that, that this is Oprah's morning routine. It's like, well, that, okay, cool. You know, it probably took her a decade to get yes. that established in her life. So for you, where you're at now, one to me, I'm like, you just don't do it. If you're in a, you're in a temporary situation, like you are right now, it's a couple of weeks of, of being in a, a different environment with a different routine. You're like, cool. I don't want to get up at 445. So my normal two and a half hour morning spiel that I do, I'm, yeah. I'm going to just do the non-negotiable parts. And so that's a lot of what I train on is like, what's non-negotiable for me. Mm. The journaling is non-negotiable. I have to like hand write out what's going on in my mind, or I feel like plugged up all day. Yeah. So that's one of the things like, you know, we were in Mexico in August and I was like, I don't want to get up a whole hour before RT and do this whole elaborate morning routine in Mexico. Like, I just want to sleep and relax. Yeah. Yeah. But every morning I did get up early enough that I could do my journal. I didn't do the whole rest of it, but I did that. So yeah it's finding what's non-negotiable and then it's comp- compounding over time on the 
you know, like changed behavior breeds changed behavior. So if you're the normal person who's getting up right when your kids wake up and then it's a rush to get out the door, it's like, okay, you start with five minutes and then you get to 30 minutes earlier, then you get to an hour earlier. And you know, it may not be that you fill that whole entire extra hour with stuff to do. Cause then you're still as rushed as you were previously, but it's like, okay, maybe I have a 20 minute morning routine. And now I've learned that I want spaciousness around this journaling practice or around this meditation practice around this yoga, whatever. So in order to feel spacious around 20 minutes, I need to be up an hour earlier. And over time you learn your rhythm and, yeah. and what's going to work for you. So I, you know, of course I, I have a million things I recommend to people of things to explore tools to check out. <laughs> and I'm like a hundred percent guarantee my specific morning routine is not going to be yours and it's not going to be hers. And I, I do have to get up at like five because my children are awake so freaking early, but I know a lot of people whose kids don't wake up till seven, seven 30 and they're able to get up at like six 30, you know? So that's just my, it's not like I, you have to get up before dawn in order to get the stuff done. I, that's just my experience because my, my kids are early risers. My kids also go to bed at seven. So then I have the whole evening to myself, whereas a lot of people, kids are up till nine 30, 10 and they're just falling into bed, you know? So, yeah. 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 And I think it's like, you will create space and prioritize the things that you have a non-negotiable around. Right. So for example, if you have a two o'clock meeting with your boss, like you're going to be on the call. Yeah. So it's, it's, there's a certain level of importance that you place on those types of things that become non-negotiable. And that is a little bit easier. I feel like when it comes to things like career, um, it's really easy to tell other people I'm not available because I have this work thing. But if you tell someone, I'm not available because I have this like personal thing I'm doing. It it's like it's almost like feels less important or societally speaking, I don't even know if that's a word. Mm-hmm. Um societal society from a societal perspective like people don't view that as important and so yeah. they they question the boundary around it. So yeah, I think that's interesting also to kind of look at where in what other areas of my life have I created boundaries that I easily enforce? And what areas of my life have I created boundaries that I don't enforce and why? Like what is the totally what makes one easier to enforce than the other? Yeah. And and so much of this reflection is also this question of like, are we so much harder on ourselves than we are of other people? And why? You know, because because even what you're saying, it's like if a friend of mine said, Hey, I like, I'd love to go out tonight, but I like I had a big week and I need to just decompress. I'm gonna do some journaling and I'm gonna yeah. go to a yoga class. I'd be like, fuck. Yeah. Do that. Do yes, that. please. Like yes. I, that will pay dividends way beyond anything that you and I could connect over, you know, on, at happy hour. And so for me, I'm like, there's basically no one in my life where I would be annoyed if they said to me, they need a little bit of alone time and, and they're going to do some inner work. I'd be like, praise God. All we should all be doing more of this. Right. Yeah. But I feel the same way you do. Where I'm like, sometimes when I see those things on my calendar, I'm like, God, I just like, I just want to have some alone time, <laughs> you know, like I don't want to go to that thing or I kind of want to move that to a week where I feel higher energy for whatever reason. And I, I do run those scenarios in my mind of like, that's such a lame excuse to be like, I just want some alone time. Cause I really want to journal tonight. Or I really want to read this book or I really want to, you know, like, I don't know what, but, 
Uh, so it's, it's also asking yourself that question. It's like, if my best friend said she needed time tonight to do this, what would my response be? So why do I not treat myself in the same way? Mm-hmm. You know, why don't I allow myself to prioritize that? Mm-hmm. And, and then that sparks some interesting questions, I think, around all the other larger topics, like how, how we've been conditioned to overwork, you know, and, and like our needs are not, we hold ourselves to such a different standard than what we hold everybody else to. Yeah. And so this brings up a really, this kind of brings it back to the proximity conversation that we, yeah we kind of like shelved for a little bit of, like you said, if I had a friend in my life that told me, you know, I need alone time, you would be excited about that. And it also kind of points to you, you most likely do have friends in your life that are that self-aware that are that present, but not everybody has that. Right. And so, um, something that's been really interesting to observe here has been relationships and proximity and mom groups. And I, you know, cause I go to activities and things like that. Um, it was really, okay. So I'll share a really funny story. This was like, it, it was not triggering, but I was kind of like the fuck. And it was just kind of, uh, a nod to the mindset of people in this area. So I, um, there was a party that was going on for one of the activities that my girlfriend's daughter is participating in. And I don't know a lot of the moms. I know a few of them and they were having this like gathering at a house and I showed up and I was like, hi, you know, like, nice to meet you. And one of the women looked over and she said, oh, are you so-and-so's nanny? And I was like, nope. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm just, you know, best friend and, and helping out. And she was like, Oh, really? That's, that's amazing. And it was just so interesting to me to be like, your initial thought is I'm the nanny. Right. Yeah. Um, so that happened, but that's not the, that's not the point of the conversation. The point of the conversation was that what I see happen so often is that these women that are really stressed out, you know, maybe they're working moms or, um, they're work, you know, they're full-time work, like moms, like they're not working, yeah. but they're in that caretaker role and their, uh, means of, of relaxation is to drink wine and to watch reality TV or to like hang out with moms and be like, I can't wait for a glass of wine. Like I need this to unwind. And then there's some gossip or just some like surface level chit chat, right? It's not the let's journal or let me take some personal space. And so, I, I want to have this conversation around proximity because it's something that we were kind of talking about before. So how important is proximity when it comes to being a mom and does it matter the types of relationships that you're having? And what do you do when this is another question, like when your kid wants to hang out with someone else's kid and you don't particularly align energetically with the person's, that kid's mom, what do you do? Oh my God. Well, that's a whole other, I, I actually haven't yet had that experience, but I, I have talked with mothers who have, and just on that really quickly, it's, that's hard work because especially in the culture we live in right now, where, where it's like, you know, there's so much deeply rooted fear around people believing something different than you do, where I feel like even in our, when we were being raised, I'm like, I don't even know who my friend's parents, how they voted, you know, like we wouldn't have known that necessarily because it wasn't so blasted all over the internet everywhere, you know? And so, you know, like, I don't know if any of my childhood friends were vaccinated or not, you know, it's like, I don't fucking care. Like that's not what we, as kids, that's not what we bonded over and not, not how we related. Right. And our parents weren't really, you know, they trusted that 
our friendships were, were authentic and like, oh, you know, they're good parents and she's a good kid and we're good parents and you're a good kid. So like in general, you guys will be fine. We don't need to over overly connect as parents, you know, like my parents would drop us off or they, you know, whatever, like they knew each other's parents, but they weren't friends. Now I feel like there's this expectation of, oh, if, if, you know, your son is going to be my son's friend, then like, we need to take a picture for Instagram together, which means I need to kind of know about you. And then I'm going to go look at your profile. Like, oh my God, you believe differently than I do on something. Ugh, like we can't let, I can't let my kid hang out with yours. Cause you know, God yes. forbid you brainwash him or something. It's like, really? Like, are we that worried that another mother is going to harm our own child? Like our child? Mm-hmm. Cause she's a mother too. Like I, yeah, I don't know. I have a really hard time with that, that whole conversation of how to navigate that. Cause there's definitely things that happen in homes where I'd be like, I don't want you in their home. If that's yeah. a belief, like they, they have certain ways of being or belief systems. Cause that's like dangerous or unsafe in some way. Sure. But if it's like, Hey, they, you know, they wore masks in their cars until recently, like, you know, and I didn't have that belief system with my children, then I'd be like, I, yeah, I don't necessarily believe the same as you, but as long as they're not forcing you to wear a mask in their house, then fine. You can go over there. Like, I don't, I don't need to be of the same belief system as his mom to, to know that you're going to be safe there and that she cares about her son and I care about you and everything's going to be fine. So, you know, like political beliefs, I feel like are so much more present now for all of us. Cause we can see what we, we each other believes based on Instagram a lot and, or all social media, but that's not real true character, you know, like right. that's not, that's not the energetic hit you get of, if you know someone in person and like, do I feel safe with this person having my kid over? You know, I, that's something you need to know. You need to feel the energy of in person, I feel like. So that's hard. And I imagine as I navigate that with my actual children, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you, but <laughs> I'm like, I, I can overlook differences of opinions and beliefs as long as in general, I feel like they're going to be safe. Yeah. But I mean, proximity, the, the thing where I feel like proximity gets a little insidious is when we start to look at being around people as a way to solve problems we have without feeling like just being around them is going to solve the problem or make it like make something feel better without looking at what's the source of it not feeling good to begin with. And once we are in proximity of people, whether it's other mothers that we we admire and we respect how they mother their children or it's coaches in our businesses or it's mentors in our professional careers or whatever, even like therapists and and people, you know, thought leaders helping us understand ourselves better. It's like there's a difference between being in the being in community and really learning and applying and being held accountable to that, which I think is a beautiful part of proximity and why you do want to get around people who are mothering the way you want to mother, leading their businesses the way you want to lead your business, like taking care of themselves the way you want to take care of yourself and get into community with them, learn from them and be held accountable versus proximity where it feels a little bit like high school or something where you're like, I just want to be in that group. And I want to be known as a friends with that group, but I don't actually have any shared values. And I, and I don't want to behave in the way like, mm. you know, like the, there's this external part of proximity that I feel like can almost be a way to hide Yeah. where as long as you're around them and you're like in their orbit, you feel like the work is done, you know? And I'm, and I say this because I've been guilty of this where it's like, yeah. oh, I'm just going to get around that person and 
by proximity, I will X, Y, Z have result. And then when that result doesn't happen, I'm really frustrated or really resentful. And I'm like, well, okay. In, in hindsight, what was I expecting? Like I didn't ask them for help. I didn't learn from them. I didn't really get into community with them. I just got around them and expected that by being in their presence, I would, I would get a result, but I didn't Mm -hmm. work for it. I didn't learn about it, you know? So I think when we look at solving that need for community or, or being amongst people who are having a similar experience than us or doing something we want to do, we have to be really discerning around, okay, is there an opportunity here to be in a community with this person where I really learn from them and they help, they hold me accountable, you know, like there's a, there's a reciprocity in this relationship or is this a, is this a situation where I can be in this person's proximity, but I'm not really going to get anything from them. Mm. And in terms of accountability or like their presence in my, in my experience, you know, like they will really know me. And that's where, especially with mom stuff, I'm like, that's hard. Cause there's definitely those mom groups and things where you can feel like you're kind of included, but really not. And I, I know that breaks down people's self-worth when they feel like they're left out or they're overlooked. Um, and then I, I feel like it's a big thing in the coaching world, you know, cause we're in that world, but in working with high-performing women where I'm like, do you know specifically what you need help with? And did you ask for that? Or did you just show up to a call or show up to a mastermind or show up to an event and expect that the answer would just be given to you? Because mm-hmm. that like, that's not going to work. Right. <laughs> you know, like right. you have to know yourself well enough to come into the container to say, here's what I need help with. And if you are not, if I hire you, will you be able to help solve this problem with me? And and that's just something I've learned being a coach and having so many coaches and mentors where the best relationships, both as a coach with a client and where I've been, the client have been where I know what I need. And I ask the person, can you help me with this? And will you hold me accountable to it? And with my coaching clients, I say that it's like, you've got to come into the container, not just expecting to show up to a call and I'm going to solve all your problems for you. You know, like I'm not, I'm not an Oracle. I'm not going to show up to a call and just know what to say. I expect you to come to the call and say, here's what's going on. I need help with this. And then I can guide you from there and, and hold you accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's just a fine line, I think, and take, take some discernment around, do you know what you need from yeah. the community that you're joining or the proximity of the people, the people you're in proximity with? And do you know how to articulate it? Do you know mm-hmm. how to ask them to hold you accountable to it? Or are you, you know, being a little bit entranced in this idea that just being around people that are doing what you want or whatever is going to make you that too. Mm. Um, I think that's a dangerous, a slippery slope. There's so many layers to this conversation. Like I feel like we could talk for a whole nother hour around that. And, and I saw a lot of this when I was in network marketing Yes, and it's this, like, there's a lot of codependency within proximity, Mm -hmm. right. Of like, I get my worth by saying that I am in your community and it like it some on some level makes me more valuable. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of like the name dropping and the who's who, right? There's there is this in every industry, whether it's a mom's group or a coaching community or even in the entrepreneurial space, it's like who do yeah. you know, right? Yeah. Yep. Relationship capital is everything and I do believe that. But I saw this a lot in network marketing and it feels similarly like people would go to these events and they would be in proximity to high level leaders who they would view as 
like someone on a pedestal, right? They have this story that they've created about who this person is and they would get really inspired and really like have a visceral experience of like, I want that. And when I'm in your presence, I can feel that. But the further I away I am from you and those experiences, it's like a law of diminishing returns, right? Mm-hmm. My motivation to take action becomes less and less and less. And it's like, I think it's in those moments where we meet ourselves in our own personal power to yep. your point to say like, if I'm not in this person's energy and they're not the one that's like motivating and inspiring me, then who am I? Right. And I think it, I think there is a, it's a double-edged sword. Like I see the light and dark side of proximity. I've felt it in my own experience of like, when I'm in certain people's energy, my creative channel opens for sure. But then it is my responsibility to take that creative energy and do something with it. Right. So there is a certain level of like, I think you, I don't think you can have the proximity conversation without having the personal power conversation. And it goes both ways, right? Like, so you also have to have the awareness of like, when I'm in proximity to certain people, I notice gossip, low vibration, like surface level conversations. And so I need to be in my personal power to decide whether or not that's someone I want to be in proximity to, because your energy will calibrate whether you realize it or not. And I do think that there is a certain level of calibration that happens, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, And it, yeah, it's, there is no, like you are the guru, right? Like you have to be the one to say, okay, am I going to take what I've learned and then actually you know, apply it. So it's like this difference between yeah. knowing and doing. And it's yeah, so it's, cal- it's like calibration is awesome. You got it. Have implementation. Yes. Right. I mean, and, and I think that's where a lot of people that that is personal power. And it's also holding a- accountable the system that you're participating in to say, if I, you know, it, I when I sign up for something or I join a, a group, a club or whatever. And there's, there's a stated outcome that I'm going to get from this thing. Yes. Part of it is me being in the room and calibrating to that energy, the mom's group, the, you know, mastermind, the coach, like whoever, the, the mentor at work, like all these things. And, and the energetic calibration is that buzz we feel. It's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm here. Like these women are are amazing. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And what you're saying, like the, phenomenon at network marketing for sure is a great example, but it's like you get calibrated, you go to an event or you, you sign up with a coach or you go to some, you meet a group of moms out for drinks. You're like, Oh, this was so amazing. Mm-hmm. And then the second, so your energy is high, but then you step away and you go back into your life. And if whatever the agreement, I mean, and this is a question of like, what's the agreement in the room, you know, but it's like, if, if part of the agreement was just to calibrate you. Cool. Done. You know, like then it's on you to know your personal power and have done yeah. the work to know what implementation feels like to you. What, what I, what I find is a phenomenon in a lot of people I work with is they've been in these containers or they've been in groups of, of women where they get calibrated and there's this promise of follow-up and community and implementation and then nothing happens. Yeah. And that is almost worse from an implementation standpoint, because you're expecting help with implementation. You're expecting yeah. to be held accountable. You're expecting to be nurtured in a community. And when you don't get that, it actually like level sets you lower than you started because you're like, oh my God, I, I had such high hopes or I felt that energy and you get the, like, yeah. you get the trough of the letdown, you know? And yeah. so it's, I, you know, we were talking about it cause it's this, I feel like it's a, it's a 
dangerous thing that happens on social media where, where Mm -hmm. you get sucked into this belief that the calibration is all you need. But the truth is you need calibration first, and then you need hardcore implementation, whether that is provided by someone else or it's self-generated. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be able to do the implementation. So I would imagine that this is also a big part of the work that you're doing with women. So can we talk a little, like with the last few minutes that we have here, I'd love for you to share more about the work that you're doing and who you, who you serve. Yeah. So, um, motherload company is, is my expanded brand these days. I'm trying to get out of just like my face on everything. Um, and so it, there's still my coaching and consulting that that's inside of that. And I work mainly in one-on-one style containers. You know, you can work with me as a coach or I'm uh, trying to do more VIP days recently. I, I like those like quick hits. Let's get yeah. it, move the needle. Um, and then the mother load company, what's coming from there is what we talked about around the mental load and, and all of these buckets and looking at how do I a lot of the women I've worked with and, and my best friend is a cardiothoracic surgeon. So she's like an interesting example because she's got the biggest mental load I've ever known (laughs) and she's not an entrepreneur. So her, the way it manifests isn't in her business. Like most people I'm in the orbit of, you know? And so when I started to look at this, I was like, there's this group of women who are super high performers. They either have really well-run businesses that have been pretty successful or they're in pretty high level demanding careers like your friend. Yep. And many, many of them have shit shows of lives like, yeah. where you're like, how in the fuck are you yeah. managing? Like your friend, how are you managing being the top executive, like the first female executive at a finance company was super demanding and all these other things are going on. Or my cardiothoracic surgeon friend, I'm like, you do eight hour heart transplant surgeries. And, th- but like you have three kids under the age of five and one of them still breastfeed. Like what? How? You know? Like, yeah. And then I'm like, God, my, my mental load is not that bad, but, um, but like all of this is to say, it's like, okay, I could come in and coach these women. I could, I could get you on a monthly or a weekly zoom call. I could get you on an unlimited Voxer plan, whatever. You're not going to do any of what I say because you're so overwhelmed. You're so in it that you can't see the forest for the trees. And when, and those relationships, when I've had clients like that in the past have turned like there's been resentment that builds because they're, they're like, Oh, I can't do what you're telling me to do. I can't do what I want to do. Yes. I'm inspired. And yes, what you say makes sense, but I like, I can't do it. Like that resentment is so present for them. Yeah. And so in talking with my friend, I'm like, what would actually solve the problem? Cause I, I feel like when you text me, you're seeking coaching. Like you want me to talk you through what you're feeling, but it seems like what you need is someone to come solve the problem for you. Like, She's moving here to Colorado actually. And she's like, I've got three months to find a house, a nanny, a, t- a daycare center, get my ki- three kids enrolled, get, you know, all these things. And, and she has three months to do it because once she moves here, she's going to be operating on hearts all day, you know? And she has a husband, but he works full time too. And, and as yeah. we know, a lot of these decisions in the home around the home are mostly the, the mother making the decisions. So anyway, I was like, okay what mother load company needs to do is more of this home edit for the mental load kind of idea where we come in and we just do it for you. Like, could you organize your pantry or your closet the way that the two gals on Netflix do? Absolutely. You, you for sure could do it. You won't. (laughs) Even if I drop off all the stuff on your front porch, it's going to sit in a pile and get dusty because it's not, it's too much. Right. But like they come in and they do it for you. They get it all set up and then you can maintain it. right? Right. So it's, 
it's that idea, but for the mental load. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a service that you can hire us to do. And now I'm building a whole team to, to implement it. And it's part strategy. It's part inner work. It's working with me to get all the things we've talked about today, figured out internally, like do your brain dump, get it all out and organize around these buckets. And it's a team of executors who can be the one to go vet daycare centers for you. And they can be the one to call three housekeeping companies and get rates and prices. They can, you know, get you set up on a meal subscription. They can get you three different gyms that are within five, five minutes of your house where they, you know, and here's the hours personal trainers have available. Like they can do all those tasks that yeah, your house manager or your nanny or personal assistant, like all these people could do for you. But if you don't have those people or those people aren't (laughs) well-trained, like there's, it's still you doing those things. So, Mm. um, it's kind of a, it's a little bit more of a personal take on that concept, but I think it ultimately will feed business growth and career growth for high-performing women. Because if we take care of like your friends, like if we take care of all that for her, we make that more organized and we give her some relief around all those other things, her career is going to skyrocket, right? Yeah. Cause she'll feel the space to take up that she's got more space to, to, to expand in that way. So you're basically coming in as like an operations manager yeah, and, yeah like for a business and you're, you're building out SOPs and you're putting the yeah. team in place and you're like, they're, they're already like successful, but they're like, this is a mess. Like here, take yeah. it, please organize it because and that's I, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's like Google docs and Asana oh, boards and I'm like so turned inboxes. On. Yeah, it's like turn me on. Yes. Yeah. And yes. <laughs> and it's stuff that you could hire. If you if you're people like you and me, we know oh, you just go hire a VA, you go hire an OBM and they'll do that for you. But if you're a cardiothoracic surgeon or you're a CEO or like yeah. even some of the business owners I work with, they're not yeah. they're not online business owners where they're so steeped in right. this world, right? Like they don't know that all right. those things exist. And even if they hired those people, they wouldn't know how to train them because they don't have the SOPs and they don't have the structure for all of it. So, right. So yeah, we're building out like a whole system and there'll be different levels. You can DIY it, or you can have us do it for you. Um, and all that'll, I think we'll take beta clients starting and we'll start selling in December. We'll take beta clients in January. And then I'll just have to see how many we can do at a time. I love <laughs> this. I, You're basically building an agency, which is so cool. It is. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the podcast motherload pod is my little passion project and, and, really the only thing I want to do. So hopefully, hopefully it continues to, to thrive. Um, and these conversations are the start of all of this, you know, like I want to solve the problem and I want to build an agency to solve that problem. And it all starts with telling these stories and Mm. making people feel less alone and seen in the, in what they're carrying and give them the simple things like just do a brain dump. Like I promise you that you're going to feel better if you just get it all out. Like, Mm. So good. I love this. I'm so excited to see this morph because I think that you're solving a very specific problem for a very large group of people. And especially now we're in a world where like paradigms have been shifting and women are earning more money and they're becoming breadwinners and they're taking on this very masculine role in relationships and it's causing a shift in polarity and men are feeling emasculated and it's causing relationship problems. So I can see that. I can see how deeply valuable what you're building is not just on like a systems and structure level, but just in the dynamics of polarity and masculine and feminine and relationships and, and parenting and raising children. And, and it all comes full circle to being able to have that space to just pause and be present with the people that we love the most and generationally 
what that does. So I'm so yeah. Yeah. excited so to see this. Yeah. I'm so I, many layers I, to it. I, what you're doing is, is so powerful. And I'm just so honored to, to yeah. be able to know you and to share this work with the world and see the ripple effect that it's going to make. So for those people that are like, okay, I'm interested. I want to know more. I need to get into your world. Like what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, shoot me a DM. That's probably the best place to start. Cause then I can just meet you and, and understand a little bit about your story and then direct you that way. You don't have to like read all the copy on the website, figure it out for yourself. So, uh, at Lindsay Roselle's best place to start and, um, yeah, we'll go from there. What are you celebrating? Uh, I mean, so many things right now it's, uh, coming up on Halloween. And so it's, <laughs> it's just watching my little who I still see as babies, like turn into little kids that chose their own Halloween costumes and like, want me to go today to go buy them. And, you know, and it's like, I'm celebrating the, the, the evolution of babies, you know, like watching them become kids and make decisions. And it's like these little moments. And I'm like, okay, a year ago, they wouldn't have made their own decision for costumes. I would have made it for them. And a year from now, they're going to be like little kids that are insistent upon being some character, you know? And so like, this is the sweet spot of just yeah. watching them authentically, like want to be a ghost and want to be a spider, you know, I'm like how innocent. Right. And to me, that's where, those are the moments that I want to be present for so that I can celebrate them. Like just I the sweet that. little things. Yeah. That's it. And that just ties everything in that we just talked about. Yeah. So I love that. Thank you so much for your light in this world and the work that you're doing. It's, it's so important. And I know that like the ripple effect is going to be massive. So I'm excited to watch your journey. And if you guys love this episode, of course, make sure that you share it with someone that, you know, would love it as well. And until the next time, live your boldly courageous life. Bye guys. Thank you so much for living your boldly courageous life with me today. I am beyond grateful for you and this amazing community we are building together. It's truly my mission to get this message out into the world and empower others to step fully into the life they've always dreamed of. I would be so incredibly grateful if you would join me in this mission by sharing this episode with your friends and heading over to iTunes to leave me a five-star review. And until the next episode, remember to live your boldly courageous life. Bye.